This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 19th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Oil shocks, loose monetary policy, and a Fed perhaps more concerned with growth than with controlling inflation. That was the 1970s, but it's also a common description of today. Should we expect the return of a decade-long stagflation? Cato Institute Senior Fellow Jerry O'Driscoll comments. The conjunction of a stagnant economy, either a recession or very small, uh, slow economic growth, and uh, high and rising inflation rates. And of course, uh, that really hit in the 1970s when we had a confluence of very easy Fed monetary policy and uh, the oil supply shocks. And there were some food stocks, but mainly oil. And so you had uh, uh, a positive contribution to demand and a negative uh, supply shock in the terms of the two oil cutoffs. And you really, you really had uh, the reality of stagflation, economic stagnation, and inflation. There were only two recessions in the 70s at either end of that decade. What was driving Fed policy to allow it to uh, tolerate the stagnation and high inflation throughout that decade? Well, they were constantly worried about uh, slower growth, and they were trying to offset uh, the negative supply shock by creating a positive demand shock, uh, which, of course, on the price side, just reinforced the problem. And uh, there was a widespread view among the economics profession and policymakers in something called the Phillips curve, which says there's a, a long-run trade-off between inflation and unemployment, and then you can lower the unemployment rate if you are willing to accept a higher rate of inflation. And the Fed was acting on this. And of course, finally, that relationship uh, unraveled, and you you started to have a positive correlation. You had higher unemployment rates and higher inflation, and, and that's the flip side of this stagflation story. Um, now, people say that today we have slowing global economic growth, especially in uh, the U.S., Europe, Western Europe, and Japan, and not so much the rest of Asia, Asia ex Japan, as people say, but we're having a slowing economic growth and rising inflation rates. Uh, the Japanese are already saying they're in stagflation. Uh, Europeans have been talking about it. Um, but in the U.S., there's this feeling, well, it's not like the 70s because we don't have double-digit inflation rates and we don't have a wage price spiral. Wages aren't ca- going up that fast. But this is not how the decade of the 70s started. The decade of the 70s started with a 4% inflation rate. Uh, And that was the inflation rate in 1971 that stimulated President Nixon to take the bad policy uh, response. But nonetheless, it was a response to 4% inflation. He froze prices and wages in August of 71. Uh, So what what the parallel is to the beginning of the decade, and what we don't want to end up is a rerun of the movie. We don't want to end up the way the decade of the 70s ended up. I saw a headline uh, during this. uh, uh, I saw a headline that dealt with this new economic data that was coming out, and the headline was stimulus overwhelmed by inflation. Of course. Um, In the 12-month period ending June of this year, one measure of consumer price inflation, that is the deflator for personal consumption expenditures, increased, uh, I think it was 8.7%. I mean, this is a staggering number by recent standards. 
and uh, should be very worrisome. And it's because now inflation is the main, is a contributing cause of economic weakness. So the stimulus package has been overwhelmed by inflation. All the Bush tax cuts have long since been overwhelmed by the oil price hikes and general inflation. Bush didn't understand why he wasn't getting credit for the economy because he had cut taxes. Well, he was ignoring all these other negatives that he was allowing to happen through policy. Uh, the... Well, we can get in if you want into the whole use of food for fuel. That's another problem. Our experience in the 70s seems to give us a pretty clear example. I think even the public understands that we're never going to have wage and price controls uh, in that manner again to deal with economic problems. But we still have this uh, write everyone a check mm-hmm. uh, as a, a potential mm-hmm. solution to get things going, which... Well, I mean, it's... It's also silly. Uh, you tax people and then you give part of their money back to them. And a temporary tax cuts never have any big impact. They're mostly saved. Uh, there's a claim that there's been a big impact on the rebate checks this, this time. But usually what always happens is after the fact, when people examine the data, it turns out that maybe 10% is spent and the rest isn't. And, and, it's, pure, and it's purely transitory. A transitory tax cut whatever to whatever help it gives is transitory. And meanwhile, there are all sorts of things, including inflation, that are overwhelming any positive effect you might get out of it. The, the policy responses aren't, aren't, aren't addressing the problem. Detail this issue with inflation as it relates to food and fuel, which are, of course, two major components yes. of everyone's spending. Yes, of course. There, <clears throat> the f- food and fuel price prices are going up globally. There are a number of reasons in each case. The two most important are, first of all, there is stronger economic growth. So this is good. If strong economic growth necessitates that there'll be price rises in scarce commodities in order to allocate those commodities to their appropriate use. But it's also being stimulated by strong uh, credit creation, easy monetary policy globally, uh, of which the U.S. has been a major contributor. A lot of countries are pegged to the dollar. The dollar, the easy monetary policy here spills over into them. And that has caused uh, much additional increase in the price of both these important goods, fuel and food. Additionally, uh, we've created a kind of supply shock to food on top of this, negative, by uh, using food for fuel and Thus, um, some of, uh, of, for instance, corn crop is being diverted into production of fuel. And um, this has caused extreme distress in a lot of poor countries. People are going to be starving because they can literally no longer afford the food. Recall that even in Asia, which is a comparatively developed part of the world, uh, food expenditures can be 30 or 40 percent of a household budget instead of more like 15% in the U.S. So we've we've exported a, a one problem. Uh, you know, we said, well, we'll substitute food for fuel and ease our, our problem with fuel. And we've, in, a, in effect, exported as a food problem to a lot of the rest of the world. In Asia, uh, food, uh, food prices are increasing about 16%. And again, it's a more important component of spending of the average Asian. Obviously, this varies by country. So uh, some policies are just wrong, and some are immoral. A policy that causes people to starve is immoral. Bottom line here, the demand for food and fuel aside, what, what is driving the Fed? 
now? Well, the Fed is in, uh, sometimes appears to be almost a panic mode. I, certainly, it is. the Fed is right to fulfill its function of lender last resort and make sure that it provides liquidity to the economy and a lot of what it's done has been appropriate. But it got into this, we got into this problem because the very easy monetary policy toward the end of the Alan Greenspan era, and for a year he had interest rates at 1%, and it fed the housing bubble, and we're all familiar with that now. But this aggressive cutting of interest rates in the face of rising inflation, which Greenspan did not face, but the aggressive cutting of interest rates in the face of rising inflation, uh, really is setting the stage for, as I call it, a rerun of the 70s. And far from having some trade-off between inflation and unemployment, right now, the rising inflation rate, which is overwhelming the fiscal stimulus, the rising inflation rate is a source of economic weakness. And so the Fed says it has a balancing act, it has to look at inflation, and it has to look at the economy. But right now, the signals are the same. We've got to fight inflation in order to forestall going into a recession and having stagflation. Remember that when Reagan came in, he signaled to the Fed he wanted them to adhere to a tight monetary policy, and throughout the 80s, we had tight monetary policy, falling interest rates, and eventually after a, a lag, we had a great economic boom. We had the best of all worlds. Now we're facing the worst of all worlds. Jerry O'Driscoll is a former vice president of the Dallas Federal Reserve. He is currently a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato Audio is a monthly dynamic CD featuring the best of Cato Institute events. You can subscribe at our website, cato.org.